Hi, my name is Pete Redden. Welcome to The Way I Taught It. Next level aviation knowledge and microbursts. Welcome to another edition of The Way I Taught It. Welcome to all our new listeners out there in Middle Tennessee. Thanks for listening. Today's episode will be a stream of consciousness of yours truly about student solos, specifically the initial solo. I hope I can keep this in a logical order. I hope you guys can keep up, but it's just something I've been uh, talking about lately with a lot of new flight instructors. We're now into the uh, springtime weather. The winter seems to be over. Uh, I won't put it past Mother Nature to throw a snowstorm in into the month of May. But right now, it seems like the bargaining agreement is uh, sunny, blue skies with 80-mile-an-hour winds. If that's what you're dealing with, like we're dealing with here in West Tennessee, uh, good luck with that. And hopefully, you've trained your students and your learners to a point where they can handle those winds. Uh, I'll blame those winds on Oklahoma. Oklahoma is probably the windiest place that I have ever flown in my career and for some reason, those winds have, cro- have come across the entire United States all the way out here to Tennessee. If you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts and consider leaving a five-star review for the way I taught it. If not, please leave an associated less than five-star review and leave feedback on how we can improve this podcast. I'm doing this as a return to the community, so any information that you can give me, any ideas you can give me, any uh, constructive criticism that you can give us, to make this podcast better. Please let us know there and we will take it seriously. So on with today's lessons, actually on with today's lesson, ready to solo. So as flight instructors and student pilots, we should be intimately familiar with FAR 61.87, solo requirements for student pilots. So we all know, and I'm not going to bore you with the what is already written and you can go look up, but we must have a base level aeronautical knowledge that is defined by 6187 for our student pilot before they go solo. There has to be pre-solo flight training before they go solo. We have to cover maneuvers and procedures for pre-solo flight training in a single engine airplane before they go solo. And there's a long laundry list of all this stuff. And guess what? It needs to be logged in the logbook along with the applicable endorsements at a 6165 hotel, advisory circular 6165 hotel. Everything has to be in the logbook, the flight training, the ground training, and the endorsements. Lately, I've been seeing endorsements on eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper that are kind of stuffed in the logbook, but they need to be actually permanently in the logbook in some way, shape, or form, whether that's inked in with a pen or stuck on with a sticker. All that training, all that ground training, all that flight training, all the endorsements must be in the logbook, not outside of the logbook. We have to worry about the limitations on student pilots operating an aircraft in solo flight. Specifically, we're talking about the endorsements for the 90-day preceding period uh, of that flight. Uh, We're talking about limitations on solo students flying at night. Yes, they can fly at night, but there are limitations. And the limitations on flight instructors authorizing solo flight and the requirements for the flight instructor to be able to solo somebody. So we go through FAR 6187. We follow all the rules. We go to 
part 91. We've learned how to operate to the minimum level required to be able to, to solo somebody or to say that somebody can solo. But when do we as flight instructors, when do you as student pilots know that you're ready to solo? Well, the arguments range far and wide. And we've all heard this. You have to, the day that we decide this, the initial solo is going to happen, you have to see three successful you know, takeoffs and landings to a full stop before your instructor is going to hop out. And then you're going to go do, as the student pilot on your initial solo, three full stop landings with taxi backs. I said this was going to be a stream of consciousness here, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So we've all heard this, and we have to ask ourselves, is this something that's required by FAR? Is this something required by advisory circular? Is this something required by the community? Or is this just something that has developed throughout the community over time, and we all just kind of follow it because, well, that's the way we were trained. So we're going to talk about that specifically with where did this three takeoffs and landings to a full stop come from to determine whether someone's ready to go solo. And when they do solo, where did the requirement for three takeoff and landings to a full stop come from? I cannot find an FAR. I cannot find an advisory circular. I cannot find any kind of federal guidance from the FAA that says the initial solo has to be accomplished in that manner. If I'm wrong, let me know. Vapor Global Aviation, all one word, at gmail.com. Let me know if I'm wrong. But I don't think I am, and I believe that is just a, an accepted community or industry standard that we've put into place over time to make it easier to know whether someone's ready to accomplish their initial solo. Now, I'll be honest, as a flight instructor, I've seen people who found the runway three times and did three landings and three takeoffs on the day that I thought they were going to solo, and there was no way I was going to let them solo because the pattern was sloppy, the radio calls were sloppy, the altitude control was sloppy, but they found that runway three times. And it just, they found it, but it wasn't proficient. But yet they had been programmed by others, including myself, that, hey, if you do those three takeoffs and landings safely, then I'm going to let you solo. So it's more than just the three takeoffs and landings to a full stop. I've also soloed initial solos and have told them, okay, do your three takeoffs and landings and then taxi on back in. And I watch with some trepidation and some fear that maybe that wasn't such a good idea for this student. And why are we forcing someone who is brand new to flying an airplane by themselves to do the most dangerous thing and the second most dangerous thing we do in aviation? The most interesting thing we do in aviation is land an airplane. The second most interesting thing we do in aviation is take off. And now we're saying this brand new pilot operating solo, we want you to practice this three times. The, th- the two most dangerous things we do. So as I kind of gained experience and and thought about this, I started to realize, well, maybe this isn't the best way to go about this. So let's talk about a scenario. Well, let's talk about what the FAR say. What does it mean when the FAR say that the student pilot has to have demonstrated satisfactory proficiency and safety 
as judged by an authorized instructor on the maneuvers and procedures required by this section and the make and model of the aircraft or similar make and model of the aircraft to be flown. What does that mean? Does that mean the student pilot has to meet the airman certification standards for pattern operations, airport operations, takeoffs, landings, taxiing, or does that mean when the instructor says, I think you're ready, well, you're ready and you get to go. Satisfactory proficiency and safety as judged by the authorized instructor. If you went with the airman certification standards, you're certainly not going to be wrong. But there are some who are not going to go that far because the airman certification standards don't necessarily need to be met until the exam or just prior to the exam, and then they must be maintained after the exam. What does this mean? So I'll give you a scenario. We've already talked about the three takeoffs and landings to a full stop, demonstrated to the instructor. The instructor gets out of the airplane. The student goes and does three takeoffs and landings, full stop taxi backs. And then after the third one, taxis in, everyone high fives. We cut the, the, sh- the shirt tail. We dump water on people. We, we throw them in. And in the Air Force, we throw them in a, a big pool of water uh, to welcome them into the community of pilots uh, of the lowest level of pilot, of student pilot who's capable of soloing. So it's a grand day. But let's look at another scenario. And I think this scenario kind of hit home on what we're really looking for when we think it's time for our student to solo or when you're a student and you're trying to determine if you're ready to solo. Let's say we have a student or you are the student and you go out and your instructor says, hey, today we're going to look at getting you to do your initial solo. You take off. Takeoff is safe and proficient. You fly around the pattern. The pattern is safe and proficient. Your radio calls are safe and proficient. Your checklist usage is safe and proficient. Your procedures are on point. And you come around on final approach and you're coming in and it's just slightly unstable. It's not ugly, but it's not stable. And as the student pilot with the instructor sitting there to your right, you decide this isn't good. I'm going to go around. And so you execute a safe and proficient go around and you get back into the pattern and you do everything you did the same way before, safe and proficient, and you come back around and now you're on final approach and you're stable. You enter the round out, you get into ground effect, you have determined that, hey, I'm going to land in the first thousand feet of the runway, the the thousand foot markers pass you by and you kind of floated past those thousand foot markers and the student decides again, I'm going around executes a safe and proficient go-around, climbs out around the pattern again, everything as it was before. We get back on final approach. The final approach is stable. The aim point is stable. The round out, the ground effect is stable. The flare is stable. And the student touches down in that first thousand feet of the runway as they planned, lands the airplane, stall horn chirping a little bit, pretty as can be, Taxis off the runway, looks at the flight instructor and says, okay, I'm ready to go. So the question is, is the student really ready to go after what was just demonstrated? Now, as instructors, we have to decide the day prior or the morning of, are we going to make today the day for initial solo? Is today potentially the day for initial solo? 
and what requirements have to be met for today to be the initial solo. And when we look at that scenario, I think we drive home a little bit more on what we're really looking for. We are looking for aeronautical decision-making because if we are considering soloing the student, they have already demonstrated proficiency and safety to you in the maneuvers and procedures required by Part 61. That's why you're considering soloing them. But what we're trying to do is, how do we know they're ready to go solo? So we're looking for aeronautical decision-making, solid aeronautical decision-making. The bottom line is, is the student going to accept an unsafe landing? If the answer is no to that, that's good. If the answer is yet, yes, it's not necessarily proficiency that's the issue, it's safety that's the issue. Poor aeronautical decision-making. So aeronautical decision-making in the form of identifying and correcting mistakes without inputs from the instructor. This leads to good judgment. Good judgment leads to good decisions. And the reduction of threats to manageable risks for the initial solo student to handle. So it's a principle, it's a bigger principle than just three full stops and then three more full stops. And oh, by the way, when the student goes solo, the last thing I want them doing, and this is just my technique, is doing the two most unsafe things we do in aviation multiple times. So I'll let a student go solo on an initial solo, and I'll tell them, hey, go ahead and do as many go-arounds as you want. Go-arounds are free. You'll have four hours of gas or three hours of gas on board. But once you decide to land and you go, okay, I've warmed up, I'm ready to land, I'm ready to come back to earth. When you land, make that landing a full stop and come on in and taxi in and let's cut your shirt tail and let's douse you with water. Let's throw you in what we used to call the solo tank in the Air Force and let's celebrate. But let's not do the two most dangerous things we do over and over and over again. And remember, the only time landings are required is when a takeoff is made. On the cross countries, a solo landing, full stop taxi back is required at every destination. You have to have your three takeoffs and landings at your uh, class Delta airport. But really, there's no other requirements for takeoffs and landings except they have to equal. So I'll give that to you guys to think about. I hope you can see where I'm coming from. I hope it changes the way you think about solo. Maybe it gives you a little comfort. Maybe it gives you a little bit more motivation on what you should be looking for. So I hope this podcast gets people engaged in discussion about a, maybe different ways, maybe potentially a better way to solo students or a better way to know for sure when a solo student is ready to go solo. Again, my name is Pete Redden, and this is the way I taught it. Until next time, fly safe, fly smart. That's the way I taught it.